0: This is Cultural Debris with host Alan Cornett. Welcome back to Cultural Debris. This is your host, Alan Cornett. Winter is bearing down hard on us at the moment with an ice storm encasing everything in sight, and yet another winter storm is in the offing. I do like a good snow or two, something we've not had the last couple of winters, we're making up for it this year, it seems. Soon, however, spring will be upon us. I need to do some seed ordering. I'm behind. Some of you may have seen the news on Twitter that cultural debris has entered into what I have called a gentle association with the good folks over at Front Porch Republic. Jeffrey Bilbro asked if I would be willing to house my show notes and such over at FPR. I was honored by the kind offer as I have long appreciated the site and the work that they do there. I've had the good fortune of attending a couple of their conferences in the past. If you're listening to the podcast as a result of the new association with FPR, I welcome you. If you are a prior listener to the podcast but unfamiliar with Front Porch Republic, I would encourage you to take a look at the site. I think you'll find a lot of interesting things there. Plus, they do a newsletter uh, via email that's worth subscribing to i believe you will find the underlying ethos of cultural debris to be in keeping with that of front porch republic otherwise the podcast remains the same we'll have the same sort of guests and of course you're still stuck with me as host and my meandering introductions to the podcast and by the way If you could take a moment to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, it's a great way to support Cultural Debris. If you could leave a brief positive review there, all the better. My book order arrived from the Princeton University book sale. I was particularly happy to get their volume on John Singer Sargent. An art book published by University Press guarantees the regular price will be high. The sale helped make things a little more attainable. You've heard me mention my love for Sargent before, and it's a book worth ordering from the sale. Kansas University Press and Chicago University Press are also having sales. I think all of this means a lot of university presses are in need of a cash influx. If you like the work they're doing, making an order would probably give them a boost. My eBay art dealer keeps listing things that are hard to pass up. He offered up what is a pretty rare late 19th century folio-sized lithograph of a college-aged Hilaire Belloc by the great illustrator William Rothenstein. Belloc would go on to be one of the great British essayists of the early 20th century, a close friend of G.K. Chesterton and one of the founders of the distributist movement, the British corollary of the southern agrarian movement in the U.S. Hilaire Belloc also supplies our poem for this episode, titled February. The winter moon has such a quiet car that all the winter nights are dumb with rest. She drives the gradual dark with drooping crest and dreams go wandering from her drowsy star. Because the nights are silent, do not wake, but there shall tremble through the general earth and over you a quickening and a birth. The sun is near the hilltops for your sake. The latest born of all the days shall creep To kiss the tender eyelids of the year, And you shall wake, grown young with perfect sleep, And smile at the new world, and make it dear With living murmurs more than dreams are deep. Silence is dead, my dawn, the morning's here. My guest this episode is Elizabeth Dean, a talented artist living and working in London with her husband Jethro Buck, also an artist. On a trip to India, Elizabeth was exposed to traditional Indian miniature painting, something that is of interest to me as well. That encounter led her to her life's work. She pursued studies at the Prince's Foundation School of Traditional Arts in London. She talks about her life as an artist and also her time in training at the Prince's School, which was established by the Prince of Wales to reinvigorate traditional arts and crafts techniques through both conceptual and practical instruction. It is an enterprise, I think listeners of cultural debris will find interesting. Elizabeth has taken her training in traditional techniques and applied them in imaginative and contemporary ways. Join me as I talk with Elizabeth Dean about her life as a traditional artist. Elizabeth Dean, welcome to Cultural Debris. Oh, hello. You are in far away Great Britain. Yeah, uh, I'm
1: talking to you from um, lockdown London.
0: Ah, that—that's the London part sounds great. The lockdown part doesn't. So, how's how is life in lockdown, London?
1: Uh, well, at this very moment, the sun is shining. Uh, so, I just try to take pleasure in the little things every day in lockdown. Uh, but it's a very strange time here in London.
0: I can imagine that it is the the times that I've been to London. It's always very. Always has been very bustling and uh, crowded streets and lots going on so it's hard to imagine it not being like that
1: yeah we've we've um, we've all been living in what feels like isolated bubbles um, but from having a, a little bit of snow over the last month uh, that feels like it's kind of restored people's um, I don't know sense of pleasure it was amazing seeing all the children outside. Uh, with their sledges and everything going down the hill, and um, so that that brought some joy.
0: Is snow fairly rare in London these days, or do you all usually get some good snows in the winter?
1: Um, over the past few years, it does seem as though it's quite rare, um, and in uh, this year, uh, anyway, it hasn't lasted long. We've had a burst of sort of one afternoon of. Um, not exactly heavy but heavy enough to sledge down a hill and then the last few days we've had a little bit of snow which has um become very patchy in the sunshine so yeah it is it is quite unusual and i think that's why we we feel the sense of oh wow this is like a r- real winter
0: right well maybe it's uh it's a little gift for you while uh while other things are not going as well. But from what I have seen, the reports I've seen, the UK seems to be doing, relatively speaking, quite well with vaccinations and so forth, as far as uh, uh, compared to uh, to other places.
1: Yeah, which is, um, that's fantastic. And it's been, I mean, lately I found out my great uncle and my dad has just had the AstraZeneca vaccine. So it's oh, great fantastic. to feel like, yeah, it's, but it's happening. It's and that I don't know. The more people I talk to, that's on a personal level rather than just what you read in the news.
0: Right. It it seems here that more and more people I know, I see people posting on Facebook and social media and so forth that they've gotten the at least the first dose, and my parents uh, are are going to be getting the second dose. Of course, we we have not had the AstraZeneca. Vaccine here yet? I think it's in the process of being approved and is supposed to be uh, distributed soon. We've ha- we have uh, vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, so I-, I say the more the more the merrier on that. Is as, uh, yeah, as long as they as they can get uh, get production out and uh, we can start uh, living at least semi normal lives. And I hope that uh, hope that you're able to to get out of lockdown. So has lockdown been a time of of good production for your art or has it been too oppressive (laughs) to uh, to to really think about it
1: um honestly it's been very mixed uh when lock when lockdown first started last march um my husband jethro and i um jethro is also an artist we we just moved back to london so it was actually a quite a nice breather uh on a sort of personal level just to settle into the area um and then there have been moments of we've both um got new studios and um, which are in Camberwell in southeast London um, and an amazing block of studios where there are lots of vibrant um craftspeople working stained glass uh, people doing carving so a lot a very vibrant um creative community there um so that angle has been, and because, uh, I mean, mo- most of the time as an artist, you work very much on your own, in, in your own little bubble. You get used, you're quite used to that. Um, and then the, the year before, we had both been preparing for solo shows. So because of that, we were quite used to the sense of kind of getting on and working in, <laughs> in this kind of isolated sense. Um, but, having said that, I'm definitely I've been missing the the contact with the, um, you know private views and galleries and um, going going to just to see really blockbuster exhibitions. I mean, there have been moments in London where um, I was able to go and see uh, the Tantra exhibition at the British Museum, and there have been moments when things have eased a little bit, uh, but that's something i've I've missed a lot.
0: Well, I think uh, especially when you're working generally sort of all the time in isolation, you do need kind of the mental break of of getting out of that, I would think, and and having something to do in the evenings or on the weekends just to sort of refresh the mind. and that's I think that that's something that's lacking for for all of us. And I know you all are in a more strict lockdown certainly than we are here right now.
1: Um, Yeah, that's definitely um, been missing. So it's been a strange mix of having an abundance of time to really um, work on paintings and think through ideas. But also, um, yeah, I I agree with you. In a sense, you need the kind of... It lifted a little bit to um, kind of just... It's often, you know, it can be moments in the pub when you're talking to your friends or... Um, fam you know, when you're with your family, that um, ideas are sort of solidified by talking about them. And that's when you decide you're going to paint them. And so there have been far fewer of those kinds of moments, I think.
0: Right. Right. It's just, it limits your your inspiration time, I guess, and your consultation time. And um, I think that we we all need those different inputs. Ultimately, if you're if you're an artist producing or a writer or whatever uh whatever it is that you're creating in order to create you have to have input uh coming in to make that possible i think
1: yeah definitely and i, I think um especially um considering that a lot of my work is very much inspired by um india and indian miniature painting and uh looking at beautiful Islamic geometry and has been inspired by visiting places such as the Alhambra in Spain. Um, You know, those are the kind of moments which um, really, yeah, that are the sort of get the creative juices flowing.
0: Well, that offers a nice transition into talking about the kind of art you do because most of the listeners here won't necessarily be familiar with your art uh it is something that i've appreciated very much uh following you on instagram and looking at your at your uh, online uh exhibitions tell our listeners the kind of art you do
1: um well i i trained at the prince that well it's called the princess foundation school of traditional arts um, and through my, it's a two-year MA there, um, there's a, quite a strong focus on traditional methods and materials. Um, and they're very, a very strong part of my work. Um, so uh, using things like um, minerals or um, pigments made from plants, such as indigo or carmine, Um, I make a lot of my own paints. Um, And I also um, do some gilding, which is using gold leaf, applying gold leaf. Um, And so it's using these various different techniques, but it's very much inspired by looking at Indian miniature painting, which are these beautiful, um, they have unbelievably beautiful, vibrant, emphatic colors. And they often, well, they depict different things, sometimes sacred stories, sometimes court scenes, um, traditionally speaking. Um, And then they have this very um, fine detail over the top of the colours, which is with a squirrel hair brush, um, which goes to a single point, almost like one single hair. Um, So that's that's where, where it gets its name, That's um, from the miniature painting. It was known as the art of the book. So often, um, people would open and look at these paintings, like in a folio form, so that they could get very close to them and really, really appreciate the details. Um, I think that I saw.
0: uh, uh, I think I saw maybe a documentary or a, a video that that William Dalrymple did where he was. He was in India looking at uh, some miniatures, and it, it, they were they were presented in a folio uh, type format. So he was he was sitting down and and flipping through them, and I it, that was something new to me that that was really the traditional way that you looked at them. That we we frame things and put them on the wall, but that was not really how how they did it.
1: No, and and actually, um, you can really understand why they did that because, I mean, you're sort of drawn in by the colours and everything, but really with a miniature painting, you want to get your nose as close to it as you possibly can to really appreciate every fine line. Um, And they're quite extraordinary in the sense that, um, I don't know, it's almost like when you're doing miniature painting, that time takes on a different form and it completely slows down and you have to almost reach this meditative state um, in order to apply those very, very fine brush marks. Um, so it's, it's kind of... It's almost as though the, the, the process invites you to um, really delve deep into these images.
0: So I, I first... I was exposed to Indian miniature art through I guess the uh, sort of the the company school type paintings, and probably came to those through reading william dalrymple and and sort of going out from there. Um, you were talking about the court scenes and um, and sort of holy depictions I guess uh, but but a lot of them are, are kind of kind of mundane too um, they're not there's they're sort of uh, paintings of of what we might call everyday life so it's uh, it, it's just a it's a wide range of of traditional topics so it sort of opens the door for you
1: um yeah and I, I, I had I was fortunate um, enough to see the um exhibition that william dalrymple did recently um i've gone blank on where oh yeah forgotten masters it was called right. uh, the... and there's a
0: there's a an exhibition catalog of that available too which i have i've sadly did not get to see the actual exhibition but i have the book
1: um yeah it was a fantastic exhibition it was at the wallace collection um and so it was Indian painting for the East India Company. And it had some absolutely, uh, I mean, some of my favourites were um, some of the it, miniatures of the natural world. Um, so I'm actually just looking at a, there's a woodpecker outside my window um, pecking at the tree. And there were lots of beautiful, beautiful birds painted absolutely exquisitely in this exhibition. Um, so. Yeah, I mean those kinds of miniatures are, um, and, and there were also some beautiful ones of monkeys and um, some which were more, I don't know, of state buildings. Um, but it was the natural ones that really caught my eye.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a very, uh, a very striking uh, style and and way of of portraying that, uh, portraying the subject that is. I don't know that strikes me as as very very Indian, but at the same time you have a strong and I know something you draw from a strong Persian influence as well
1: uh yeah, and I think um the, the sort of the difference visually between the Indian and the Persian miniatures is that um like some of the Persian miniatures have this really these really beautiful kind of tiny intricate geometries. Um, which you don't get so much in the Indian paintings. Um, And they sometimes have elements of um, shell gold and um, sort of beautiful decoration added onto the geometry. And this is often in kind of uh, the backgrounds of domestic scenes or um, buildings. Um, And they're something which have really, they've really inspired some of my paintings
0: right you do a lot of of geometric um, images that that you can i think people will see a clear connection with the traditional persian and islamic uh paintings in in india you have this the interesting crossover i think between uh, the the mughal ruling class and and patrons, with the um, the larger population being Hindu, and so you have you have a lot of, I think a lot of uh, cross pollination there in in the kind of images that are portrayed. And I guess with Persia, you have a more purely Islamic uh, tradition of of painting.
1: Yeah, I mean, you do have a lot of these uh, beautiful geometries, which uh, for me, the beautiful thing about geometry is that it's very much inspired by the natural world. So um, while I was um, doing my MA at the Prince's School, you know, you spend a lot of time looking at um, the geometry of a flower or the geometry of a snowflake, and um, it, it... it makes you realise that um geometry is something that's been around for forever, if you know what I mean. It's a it's a sort of mystical thing that um that the more um involved in it you get, the the sort of more amazing it becomes. It has this kind of cosmic quality to it. Um, and in the same way as the miniature painting by drawing out geometries um you also go into this kind of um, sort of flow state, meditative state. Um, so it's a really um, beautiful art form.
0: One of my uh, one of my favorite works that you have on your website is one that's called my Persian Studio and it's it's a painting of you painting with a group of your paintings on the wall around <laughs> you it's uh I guess from uh in in 2021 parlance it's a very meta kind of kind of <laughs> painting but uh but it's very intriguing what what caused you uh or what gave you the idea for that
1: um so the, this painting um I actually started it while I was a student at the prince's school but I never quite finished it during my time there it was kind of one of those paintings that went into a drawer and uh, I, I re- re- revisited it um, the year before my show, and I thought, oh, well, ma- maybe I'll finish this off. Um, but it it was taken from, um, the background is very much taken from, um, it's a, a painting which is part of a manuscript um, of Nizami's Kamza, I think it's 17th century, um, and it is an illustration of one of his poems, which is called the Haft Ka- Haftpikar, and the Haftpikar um, consists of seven different stories, um, and King Bahram builds a palace containing seven domes for his seven brides. Each one is dedicated to a day of the week, and it's governed by the day's planet and has it a special colour. Um, And basically, you can see in the background of my painting, it's got those um, seven palaces and seven domes. Um, And I suppose because Persian miniatures and um, the beautiful geometries, like the very, very miniature geometries that you get in many of these Persian miniatures decorating the walls and the floors, um, I just... uh, I thought it'd be, I I think it's because they had inspired me so much and doing this course with um, my teacher Fakonde Akhmad Sadeh. And um, it was through looking at this architecture I'd kind of led to a a lot of um, what I ended up producing for my show at Grosvenor Gallery, like some of these kind of very ambitious geometric paintings. And so it sort of seemed appropriate to, because it was such an inspiration, it seemed appropriate to, I was kind of alluding to the fact that this is where it had begun. Um, and I, I wanted, I, I loved the idea that this could, you know, my be my imagined Persian studio. So it, it is very much a, um, a sort of personal, playful piece. Um, and and then I thought, uh, this was very much towards the end of preparing for my show. as coming up to it when the art courier would arrive and I just thought it'd be nice to finish off by adding some of my finished paintings which at that moment were you know they, they'd absorbed all my time and thinking um so and and also just the idea of um yeah I've been so inspired by tradition and traditional techniques um so it was a kind of nod to have a part of a traditional painting in a to put myself into that if that makes sense oh Uh, certainly
0: it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful painting and it would have been it would have been fun with all the layers there to actually have seen it in a show surrounded by those the paintings that are that are portrayed within the painting (laughs) so uh many many levels going on uh being going on there so uh, you we we know and can see the kind of work that you're producing now how did you get to where you are when did you when did you decide i want to be an artist or when did you begin producing your art
1: um well in some ways it goes back a long time i mean uh, when i was very young i always said uh, that i wanted to be an artist Um, But I suppose as a sixth former, I started thinking, uh, I I was torn, I think, between following a practical or academic career. So I actually did um, history of art at university, and then I did an MA in uh, world art. So I I had very much an academic background, but always felt very frustrated that I didn't um, sort of have more time to focus on creative pursuits. Um, And while I was working as an art teacher, I decided to go to India to, um, well, I went to, well, the first time I went to India, I went to Shantiniketan and West Bengal. Um, But this second time I decided to go to Chandigarh and I I worked with some students there. But as part of this trip, I ended up um, going to Udaipur to partially to visit my brother, partially to have a holiday and partially to see some of the tourist sites. Um and uh I I I met an artist there called Sanju Sony who um showed me some of his miniature paintings. Um and he does miniatures which are very much um they're using I would say walnut ink and gold leaf. They don't have um too much colour in them, but they were so beautifully and exquisitely painted. And um, I was really just completely bowled over by them. Um and I I bought one of his miniatures of a tree which has all these elephants looking up at it. And um I remember sitting there thinking oh this this is what I want to do how am I going to do it? And um sort of uh, it it took time because I then had to go back to my teach art teaching job and England and um, I looked into different courses where I could learn about traditional materials and traditional techniques and I found um, Samantha Buckley, um, a teacher at the Prince's School um, who was doing a course on Indian miniature painting and so I I went there for a week to do an evening course and strangely enough that week I also um, met... Jethro who is now my husband but who's also an artist very inspired by Indian miniature painting um so it it, it kind of um it it feels like a strange story because it feels like um, I never knew I would get to where I am now and um, be able to exhibit some of my paintings at um, the wonderful Grosvenor gallery in London um, but it felt at that moment that my my life was about to change dramatically. And over the sort of course of my time at the Prince's School and my time um, in India, because um, uh, Jethro and I spent a sort of extended honey, honeymoon period there where we went to visit um, some of well, I went to, well, I, I introduced Jethro to Sanjay. And, um, you know, that, that was like an amazing moment of being able to say to him, oh, well, it was your painting and it was you that really inspired me to pursue this journey. Um, and we spent some time with Ajay and Vinita Sharma, who are incredible Rajasthani miniature painters. Um, so it, it just felt as though somehow it was all supposed to happen. Um, and, yeah, uh, that something, I don't know, that, that it felt like there's magic around it. You're listening to the Cultural Debris podcast. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the Prince's School because that's something that uh, obviously is is key to what you do and how you really learn to do what you do uh, and pursue that route. But the the Prince's School is something, I guess, as an entity that has that has interested me since I've discovered. That it exists, uh, but uh, it, it it was uh, it's it's part of a project by uh, the, the Prince of Wales, and I I'll defer to you to explain a little more fully what the Prince's School does and is.
1: Um, well, it it's it's a school which exists to ensure that traditional arts and skills um, continue. And that they enrich the world that we live in, which is ever changing. Um, and it's a combination of you. You can pursue different things there. So you can either just turn up to the odd uh, public lecture, or you can join a short one-week course. Um, but they also do a two-year postgraduate MA degree, um, which is quite extraordinary in terms of um the breadth of skills that you learn. Um, so in your first year, um, you, you do a series of one-week courses um, exploring different traditional arts and crafts. Um, so <laughs> I mean there are so many. So that this could be traditional painting techniques. So as part of that I did um you do icon painting. So you cover the essentials of egg tempera and um, especially how it's used in traditional Orthodox sacred icons. Um, you explore Persian and Indian miniature painting, um, but then there are also there's also a, a big element of it which is about architectural crafts. Um, so you do some stained glass, some um, wood parquetry, um at, while also kind of a going as a sort of strong foundation to all of these courses, um, you have your um geometry lessons. Um and this can be um some some geometry which is using compasses and a straight edge or a set square um but also some geometry which is 3D and it's looking at geometric structures um in space um and think thinking through things like the platonic solids so it's it's um it's quite an extraordinary course because it's it also has this uh philosophical and spiritual underpinning to it um and you really learn to think about what it means to be a traditional craftsman um and you learn to think about the kind of um, because you're in such small groups so you're in groups of say eight people to a um to your teacher it's very much like um being an apprentice um so it's i don't (laughs) this is a bit of a strange analogy but like it it, it reminds me a bit of karate kids or what it's like to have (laughs) have a mentor
0: like you're in a dojo and
1: yeah, <laughs> <learning>. <laughs> yeah somebody um, you know you you learn about how how um, rigorous practice is essential um, and to almost um, sort of hand over your um, it leave your ego behind and hand over your create creativity to a, a higher Yeah, a higher being. It's got a devotion. It feels like it's got a devotional element to it. Uh,
0: It seems to me that uh, that a lot of the traditional techniques, and obviously these are traditional techniques drawn from from cultures all over the world, but all of these do have a spiritual underpinning. I think, Uh, even if they are used, then maybe in what we might call more secular ways. Very often they're they're developed for some sort of sacred purpose, and then maybe maybe repurposed elsewhere. But uh, you, talk, you know, you were talking about uh, Orthodox icon painting and so forth, and and obviously a lot of the miniature painting in India was uh, was used for uh, for religious purposes and so forth. So I I, it, I think you're. I think you're very much right, and obviously you were there, but very much right in that connection, I think, between the spiritual and the traditional in uh, in the creative process.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, um, in a sense, um, the creative process very much requires you to um, have a sense of faith or, or, or just you You have to believe that it's going to turn out okay because otherwise you would just consistently give up at an earlier hurdle, if that makes sense. Um, you it, it reco- you have to trust yourself to, as as well through so many of the processes to remind yourself that you've been here before and it will look okay in the end. Um, right. <laughs> um, uh Because people often forget that you know paintings go through so many processes, and um, you oft, oft, there's often been moments of uh, almost blood, sweat, and tears to to get wherever you you know define to get to your final piece. Um, and, and actually, especially in um, the, the nature of Indian miniature painting, is um, that you. Uh, I, you draw out your design, and then you apply the areas of color, um, and then you put the final detail on. So it's only at that last section that, um, you know, some people even refer to that last bit as tr- the truly as truly painting. Um, it's only at that last bit that it really starts to come alive. Your painting, um, so it requires you to to get through all these different hurdles to get to that point um yeah so
0: <laughs> a, a little bit of delayed gratification on uh, on the process
1: yeah definitely and and i think in the world we live in today that's a that's just a really essential thing um it to to really work um on something and then um see the fruits of your labor but they're never never immediate
0: right i have been I have been impressed by um, just the idea of the initiative of of the the Prince's School. I, obviously, then in, in the U.S. we uh, we're unaware uh, largely of of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I I think that uh, the the Prince of Wales has been underappreciated for a lot of the work that he has done and continues to do to promote uh, these kinds of, of traditional crafts and art. And certainly, uh, I suppose he has a higher profile, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, with his promotion of traditional architecture, but oh. he's, really, he's really done a lot to promote these things on a very practical level to to help um, as kind of a patron to to bring about uh, an infusion of of technique and talent into uh, into British society.
1: Certainly. And I think also um, very much kind of behind this focus on the traditional arts and skills is this um, connection to nature. Which is obviously something he's incredibly passionate about, and which comes through in the um, his promotion of traditional architecture as well, um, and the the proportions of a building, um, you know how they should really relate to the ratios within the human body, um, which is partially why um, geometry is so beautiful. Um, so I, I think, he, he yeah, he, he definitely has done a lot in that capacity. And also it's just a very, it's, it, it's one, it, it's on its own. It stands alone, the Prince's School of Traditional Arts. There's not really anywhere else like it. So, um, yeah, it's very unusual.
0: So uh, it, how, how involved is the, is the prince and I mean obviously he's not teaching classes or anything but I know <laughs> I know on on your website you, there's a picture of you at your at your uh, uh, exhibition I guess that was the the closing exhibition for your degree and you're there with the prince and and he's admiring your uh, your work uh, was was it something where he is kind of a, a presence does he sort of show up at the end what, uh, what yeah. kind what of role does he play
1: so he's um he's obviously incredibly passionate about the school um and uh, within the school is also there is an architect in the same building um, there's the prince's drawing school and there's also um, part of the architectural program is there i believe um so he f- he's very much involved with it, but it's at um, the end of the two year masters that every year usually he makes an appearance and he very much takes the time to talk to each individual student for a few minutes about their work. Um, so it's quite a, it's a very special moment because you really feel um, uh, well, you you feel very appreciative to him for the school. And um, it's also just a very amazing moment to really show what you've achieved, because normally people achieve such a huge amount in those two years. There are some students who come in who have very limited, um, a very limited art background and um, they transform during these two years into um, really quite incredible artists. and it, it's just this, the scope of the school, the, um, the this very intensive traditional skills courses in the first year. But in your second year, you very much have the opportunity to use those skills and make them your own. So you do have your own creative um, force within that. Um, but yeah, annually he he turns up to really have a good look at all of the work.
0: If you start to to consider the impact that it um that it would have on the on the arts community uh are you seeing do you see the the results of that in in the overall art world in london and in in the uk in general
1: uh so is this um a difficult question that because the art world is such a crazy and chaotic place but i definitely sure. fe- feel as though um Traditional arts and crafts. I don't know if it's um, it's a, a trend thing, and that they're starting to come very much into fashion again. Um, but they are definitely um, getting a lot of a lot more attention than they have for a long time. And I think people are really fascinated by the the different skills that we're learning that are centuries old, and then using often in our own creative work, so it is very much about the skills, not just repeating tradition, but um, making it our own as well. Um, so I think people are really interested in that. Um, right, yeah. right. I think.
0: I mean, I think that that's important to to understand about the traditional techniques. You're not simply learning traditional techniques and copying classics you're not repainting the mona lisa uh, kind of thing but you're <laughs> but but you're making those traditional techniques alive and and bringing them to bear on your own through your own artistic vision but also on the contemporary scene
1: uh, yeah def- definitely um and i think you can really see that when you look at artists uh, like Olivia Fraser, who is also represented by Grosvenor Gallery, and my husband Jethro Buck, um, that they are using the Indian miniature techniques, but their work is very much um, got a very much a contemporary feel to it. So Olivia's work is very graphic in a sense; um, it, it has very clear, bold lines. Or, um, but then it will have some of this incredible detail um, from learning the Indian miniature techniques using the very, the squirrel hair brush. And my husband, Jethro, his work is um, very much em- embodying the natural world. Um, so it's so he might take more English um, things like oak trees, but use those um, methods that he's learned for different types of Indian trees and apply those to his work.
0: Do you and uh, do you and your husband Jethro uh, collaborate? Any are you are your? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's something that you would be talking about and and so forth. But uh, do you work together, or do you typically uh, sort of? I guess, isolated from one another, (laughs) isolated is too strong of a word there, but (laughs) on separate Um, streams, perhaps. um,
1: Well, in a sense, um, a bit of both is the answer to your question, as in we very much are constantly talking about our work. So um, we often ask each other for advice on different paintings or, um, you know, Help, I, I sometimes make some of the paints and Jethro use some of the paints I've made, or but th- there's always a level of collaboration going on. Um, but generally speaking, uh, we work on our own individual work um, in separate spaces, um, although we've had moments of um, sharing a studio. So when I did some of my larger scale pieces uh, for my Grosvenor Gallery show, in, um, which was in 2019 you know, because um, of space constraints of my studio, I was moving a lot of things into his studio to um, work on those paintings. Um, but but recently we have done um, one collaborative piece, which was for, uh, it's called Cure Three, and it's, um, it, it's for charity. So everyone submits a perspex, it's a pers, you do a work of art, basically, in a Perspex cube. And um, Jethro and I worked on this piece together. So w- we did an octahedron, which was elaborately painted with um, geometry and using lapis and gold and uh, many of those uh, materials. Um, and that was for um, to raise money for Parkinson's disease, but it was exhibited, um, I think it was in, in Bonhams, um, so it was, it was a lovely mix of um, being part of this exhibition where everyone, it, it very much worked in the sense that everyone in the show had to do something in a Perspex cube, so that was almost the theme of the show. But it was wonderful to do something which was purely um, for charity. So they were auctioned off, those individual pieces.
0: It, is it a good time... And this is a little bit of a, I guess, of a trick question. But is it a good time to be an artist?
1: Um, wow, that's an interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I think it, it it's always difficult being an artist, um, but it I wouldn't change it for the world. In the sense that it's amazing to have the time to explore ideas and work on things. That you decide that you want to work on, and and to have this genuine sense of um, that education is this continuous thing, and that you're constantly learning new skills. Um, I love those elements of it. Um, obviously, <laughs> I, I I mean, right now we're in the midst of a pandemic, um, and the art world to a certain extent is. Uh, it's it's still going, but it feels very much like it's kind of on standby a little bit in the sense that um, lots of the major art fa- fairs in the world either aren't happening or they're happening on a very limited level or they're simply happening online. And, well, from that angle, um, you know, it, it's not... It, Every artist wants their work to be seen in real life because, especially, I think f- for my work, it's so much about the beautiful, vibrant colours and the kind of the way the light reflects off the different minerals that I use as paints. And um, they definitely have a quality in real life that they just simply don't have online. And so it's it's sad to think that at this moment, that's how most people are experiencing art um but hopefully we won't be in this for too long
0: I hope not I hope that we uh that we are freed especially uh, again uh, uh, you in London because as I said I know you're under a stricter lockdown than we are right now but I think I, th- I think going to a nice art show would be would be, a, be a very pleasant thing to do right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> sadly it's sadly it's been a while so yeah. um uh, so where do you see uh where do you see your art going um in in the coming years where would you like for it to go
1: um wow that's a big question um i mean from my experience very much like work leads to ideas and ideas lead to more work and Um, that's how the process is and thinking of um, Jerry Saltz and um, that book he wrote recently he he very much talks about how magical things happen when you're working but you can't expect anything much to happen when you're not Um, so I I mean I'm working at the moment on a um, I'm looking at water and um, thinking of it in lots of different forms so that could be interference patterns, um, geometric patterns, or it could be um, thinking of it in terms of the beautiful cosmic oceans that you get in Indian miniature paintings. Um, so I'm, And I've also started doing these paintings um, using lots of tiny little squares, like pixels, or um, people often describe them as mosaic-like, um, and using the watermark that I find naturally in old pieces of antique Indian paper and then working around that um so sort of thinking of water in many different senses um and, and within that I will look at um more um sacred um te- you know texts and also folk stories and tales um like the painting that I did um called the golden yoke which has a um it's got a beautiful part of a beautiful Buddhist story um so yeah just hoping to can continue on uh this tra- trajectory um and just see where it goes
0: <laughs> well so far it seems to be going well uh, do you have any advice to someone who might be interested in pursuing art through traditional techniques are there there resources that they can look to, or uh, places uh, that they should uh, that they should explore.
1: Um, I think um, definitely um, the because of the current lockdown, one advantage is um, there are far more online courses, and the Prince's School has really adapted to that. So there are lots of um, my friend Vishali Prasmari is doing. Uh, online courses in Persian painting and and sometimes she focuses very much on rocks or clouds or um, so that would be a really good place to start. Uh, When the world opens up a little bit more and um, hopefully there's a bit more travel, um, doing a course with Ajay and Vinita Sharma who um, they they do courses around the world now or they pre-COVID they were so they can often um, you can often track them down somewhere and that that really is the best way to learn a traditional technique it's is with a master painter and it, it's a, such a um, it initially it's such a new and exciting world and it's very overwhelming because there's so much to learn about it so it's good to learn it from a master painter who goes through each element of the process in quite a slow and methodical way. Um, because I think that's how you get the most from it.
0: So are we going to expect any uh, any online courses or classes from you explaining how how to approach these things?
1: Yeah, possibly, possibly in the future. Um it's definitely um something that I'd like to uh start doing a bit more of. I do occasionally teach uh individual students in my studio, but I haven't quite embrace the online world yeah.
0: (laughs) Understandable. Uh, Certainly. So where can people find you online and find your find your art? Uh
1: so I have a website um which is elizabethdean.com Uh but I should point out that my name, uh a little bit the bane of my life, but (laughs) it's (laughs) um, it's spelt with an S. Elizabeth spelt with an S instead of a Z. Um, And I'm also on Instagram, which is at Eliza Dean, uh, E-L-I-S-A, and then Dean with an E on the end. Uh, Those are the two best places to find me, but you can also find me on other channels like Facebook and LinkedIn and um, Twitter.
0: I will provide links and show notes to uh, to those (laughs) to your website and Instagram and so forth so folks can find you and also to the Grosvenor Gallery as well and if someone wishes to purchase uh, your artwork is it through the Grosvenor Gallery that they is that where they should go
1: yeah yes please contact the lovely team uh, Connor, Charlie and Casually and um, they will help you with any requests including uh, commissions as well
0: very good Elizabeth Dean, thank you very much for being with us, and I wish uh, for your freedom soon and uh, (laughs) your ability to roam about uh, at at art galleries unimpeded.
1: (laughs) Thank you.